This is Susan Duncan. This is Greg Harp. And we are Am I Wrong for Thinking This? A podcast by two friends, one liberal, one conservative, discussing the issues of the day. Issues that might be scary to talk about that sometimes we're afraid to bring up with friends because we're from different backgrounds. And have you scratching your head asking, am I wrong for thinking this? We hope that you'll tune in, listen, and enjoy. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is Susan and Greg, and we're so glad that you are here to listen to another podcast. Today on Am I Wrong for Thinking This, we are going to be talking about racism and whether or not you think it is inevitable or is it something over time that can change and possibly evolve into not existing. What do you think about that, Greg? Um, I think it's going to be a short podcast <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> the answer is no, it won't go away. <laughs> it's deeply ingrained into the human psyche. <laughs> and so it will not go away. It will be here forever. And thanks for tuning in and, and we'll see you on our next episode. No, seriously. Um, <laughs> <Lovely>. <laughs> thanks for wrapping no, up. I, I, I think that that's a, I, I think this is a great topic. I think it's a topic that not a lot of people would, would want to touch. Um, I, I think that my short answer remains the same. Uh, no, it's not going away. No, it's not something that the fabric of time will, will help erase because I, I think it's, much like the um, the global war on terrorism, you're fighting an ideology, not an actual physical thing. And so that ideology spreads; it's passed down from generation to generation. And in that in that sense, racism is a lot like terrorism. You know, it's it's a learned trait. It's a sometimes you're you're indoctrinated into it based upon the people that you're either hanging around or or your family. And so I, that's the um that's the 25,000 foot overview. <laughs> I think that it actually the first thought that came into my mind is as you were talking about no, it's it's always going to be there. It is just part of what has been indoctrinated into some people and I think that it has um, but there are other people that I think might not have experienced it that way. And then I think of the flip side, it's almost like, I feel like, um, Brian and I were talking and then I think you and I kind of bantered a little bit about it, but like, I grew up indoctrinated with it's over and it's, and everything's good. Like, well, you know, like my mom actually told me another story that I did not remember. Um, that she had said, um, we rented one of our houses to uh, a coworker of hers and, and he was black. And she said that all the neighbors called and said, are you renting to him? This is in 1988. <laughs> and, you know, and so I was like, well, that's, not, that's me, not forever long from. Let me give you a more recent example of that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and in order, so in order to not actually um identify who the culprit is i will say that we have lived in several different locations okay um in one of the locations that we purchased a home the builder was approached by the neighbor as he was building the house and said 
what are you going to do if blacks want to buy this house? And the neighbor or the builder told said neighbor, well, I guess I'm going to sell it to them. <laughs> so you were, you're, you're talking about something that happened in 1988. I'm talking about something that happened in the, I would say anywhere between 1999 and 2005 just to give a range so that I don't give away who it is. Right. Um, I, I highly doubt that <laughs> that, <laughs> that person would be listening to the podcast. And, and if he is, so what? But I do say so what, because what happens is that he turned out to be one of the best neighbors I've ever had. Mm-hmm. But it was just that initial shock factor to him because it was almost a fear of the unknown. I could conceivably be living beside black people. And that was right. something that he wanted to address with the builder. Right. And that, and so the way that you just told that story, though, he became a good friend. That's where I go into. Well, friend is a stretch. I mean, well, okay. Like, uh, to good neighbor, I would say to good neighbor. Friend. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. There, a distinction can be drawn between a, a neighbor and a friend, but <laughs> yeah, friend may be a stretch. Well, so we'll just say, we'll say good neighbor. So that kind of kills my sure. point. But what I was thinking, and it actually goes back to what I was saying about, I was surprised in what my mom told me. And then looking back, I still only remember like one or one time, not one or two times, but one time where my mom said that somebody at her, at her work was also being treated badly because he was black. So what you had just said, Greg, about the person that asked, you know, are you going to let black people live here? And then your response was actually, you know, he turned out to be a pretty good neighbor, not like a really great friend, but a pretty good neighbor and something you might not have expected. That's, that's what I like about our discussions. And when you talk about your experiences, because you don't just stay firm on like, okay, he's a jerk. I'm not talking to him ever again or, or to begin with, but it was just, you know, you just take it as it goes. And that kind of pulls me back to the whole, I grew up with the, maybe the indoctrination. I don't know if that's too strong a word or not, but it's just like, okay, there's no more racism. We're all good. You know, everybody gets along really well. And, and maybe that's just because of the, the neutrality of how my mom was she just talked kindly about everybody and we talked to everybody and we were friends with whoever we were friends with but i i I think that it's it was probably easier for for you to be told that racism was over and we're post-racial of course and (laughs) and you believe it because you're a white female well I, i think that if I had been told at the same age that, hey, racism is over, we did it, we beat it, I'd be like, yeah, but I got called for it three times today, so <laughs> is it really over? Well, that's so my I, point, I, I say all that to say, based upon the perspective. Right, that's what I, I that my point is, the perspective is, this is how I grew up, and then, you know, that's why I kind of posed the question, do you think racism is inevitable or is it something that we can finally conquer? And it's because I grew up with it saying, Hey, it's been conquered. And you know, if that's just ignorance on my part, that's just ignorance as in I've never experienced certain things and wasn't exposed. So yeah, I didn't know. I would, 
I would certainly not call it ignorance on your part. I mean, it's just you were you grew up under a different set of circumstances. Therefore, you were not exposed to certain things to make you think, wait, no, it's not over. So it's not necessarily ignorance or it's not ignorance at all in any shape, form or fashion. It's just the circumstances that that you grew up in. Right. Right. And, and, and it could it could be that. And I mean, I agree, but but just the two completely different perspectives. And, you know, then me looking back on stories and hearing, oh, it still did. It was happening, but then not knowing it was happening. I, right. I wish I would have known. I wish I would have seen. So what was it you said in a podcast before your dad's generation grew up in the what kind of racism and you grew up in more of the quiet undertones you remember oh yeah yeah the the you know my dad's generation was more in your face right you know it was it was there okay it was silent and and not necessarily all the time but the majority of the time it was it was hidden and thinly veiled racism you knew it was there you just couldn't prove that that's what it was right so come full circle and now I'm, I'm raising a generation and lo and behold, racism is back in your face. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's, we've got, we've got Nazis marching in the nation's capital for Pete's sake. I mean, so, so we've got, you know, torchbearers and, and, mm-hmm. and people just doing the things that we only heard about and read about in history books. Well, the sad fact of the matter is, is that our children's generation is actually witnessing and experiencing that and having to ask questions about that firsthand. Right. And we're kind of, that's what with Brian and I and our kids had gone into, they've been homeschooled. They've been in private school. They've been in public school a little bit, a little bit of everything. And in the public school that they were in, they would come home and talk more about comments made back and forth to each other. And I'm like, Whoa, we, we didn't, that wasn't as prevalent as it is now. And so there's this, wait a minute, we need to have some conversations and I need to talk to you about how to talk about how to react to and what you probably should not respond to as in a joke or, and, and, you know, that's kind of new for me. It, it's not new. It hasn't gone away, but no, for what I'd experienced, I'm like, whoa, 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 we got to back up and rethink how we have to prepare our kids. Um, because there is all, it, it is very different. Like you said, kind of silent, <laughs> the way you described it kind of reminds me of people who talk about, I guess, gaslighting and yeah. it's like, yeah. it's there, but I can't prove it. It's going to make me That's crazy, right. yeah. and, you yeah. know, but I know it is. Yeah. And then I doubt myself and, and, um, yeah, yeah there, there used to be a running joke in, among, um, me and some, some other black guys when, whenever we would experience racism like that, where, you know, it's racism but you just can't prove it. Well, you know, the running joke was, I think that was racism, but I can't prove it, you know? (laughs) And and so, and honestly, I would, and I think I've talked about this before. I I would rather have the, if, if I've got to experience racism and Lord knows that I have, but if I've got to experience racism, I want the in your face racism. You know, I, I need to know now, now, Thankfully, or un- unthankfully, as the case may be, I live in Alabama, and again, we have the best races. So normally, it is in-your-face racism, mm-hmm. okay? Now, 
the the racism breeds a stereotype, and so the not so the not so in your face racism is you know me walking down the sidewalk and having a white lady still clutch her purse, you know, or me being followed in the store thinking I may steal something because I don't belong there. That's the not so subtle stuff. Is that stuff taught? Is that stuff ingrained? You're not born with it. You know, where does it come from? So where does that come from? Well, it's got to come from like, I, that's where I think it is there and you see it and you know, that's what it is, especially for you. Frequency is going to tell you this happens this many times. This is what's happening in their mind when I walk by them. And I mean, for me, like I wasn't, I don't remember being taught, be scared of the black guy, be scared of the, you know, maybe be scared of the big giant guy when you're, you know, smaller walking by and if you're by yourself. In fact, one time a friend of mine, I was 16 because I just started driving. My best friend and I just started driving and we were coming home late from tennis because it started raining really badly in in Midland, Texas. It floods immediately in town because it never rains. So when it does rain, it's pretty nasty. And, and I saw a, a car off to the side in the water and you could tell it had died. And that happens often there. You just sit and wait for it to flood out. I mean, if you're, he got stuck. And so my friend, Melissa and I, I was like, Hey, let's just pull over and say, let's see if he's okay. Maybe he needs a ride. She's like, okay. And so we're just two 16, 16 year olds and we pull up and we're like, Hey, did you need help? Is your car dead? And he goes, yeah, that'd be great. We let him get into the back of our car and we drove him two, three blocks down the road to our house and we pull in and we get out because it had stopped raining by then. And he gets right. out and he's a, he's huge. I mean, he's like, and I come from a tall family, but he's probably six, five, six, six, pretty big, big guy. And my mom walks out and I saw her face and she's like, who is this with you? <laughs> like, and she just walked up to him and I go, he needs to use the phone. Can you let him go in and use the phone? <laughs> and she just was like okay and just all these pauses and my, and my friend and I are just like I don't understand what the problem is we we're just helping you know because we were taught to help we were taught to be kind and right and, and she, you were also told that racism was over <laughs> and racism is over and you know but I look back and this man was black but it never dawned on me that my mom was mad at me because he was a black guy. She was just like, Susan, he's I don't, huge. Yeah, I <laughs> don't believe that that was the issue in that story. <laughs> it was not. In Malaysia. I think the issue was that you allowed a tall, probably larger stranger, regardless of color yes, or race, in the car. to get into your car and then drove him to your home so he now knows where you live with yes. your mother by yourselves. Yeah, so that's that's probably not a, a race issue there. But no. I will tell you this. I, I, I will say this. You know, you're, would it matter? Would it have mattered more if, if he were white? And where where does the where does the implication come from that the tall black guy is probably more dangerous than the tall white guy? Yeah, where does that come from? I don't know. All things being equal and the only difference is the skin color. Just the ingrained history of him being black. It's, I mean, because right. that's, that's the only thing that I could come up with. Because for me, and I'll, I'll be honest, it is, 
I like thinking back about myself and realizing I let that man in the car, not thinking of race or not thinking of anything, just thinking of helping him. But that, right. that still doesn't mean that the ingrained cognition that I had that we talked about in our last podcast didn't come out of my mouth. And so right. the, the question comes well, back to you, I mean, did it the come matter from? Is, is from the er- from our earliest ages, we are, we are taught to differentiate between good and bad right? Mm-hmm. Good and evil. And typically, I want you to think back to your earliest days and, and you were a girl, but I'm a feminist. So I'm assuming you played cowboys and Indians as well, right? You know, maybe, the good guy always, yeah. well, well, the good guy always <laughs> wore the white hat, right? I I guess so. I don't remember. But okay. Yeah, I All right. Where you're going. Good guy yeah. wore the white hat. The, the, the villain always wore the black hat. Mm-hmm. All right. You have you have good magic and you have bad magic. What's the good magic called? White magic. What's the bad magic called? Black magic. Right? Yeah. All yeah. right. No, I'm, so I'm kids are kids are actually taught at an early age that, you know, light is good, dark is evil, dark is bad. And then mm-hmm. that is then transposed onto the color of someone's skin because I am... 50 years old, soon to be 51 next month, and I have never met a black person. I've met dark brown people. I have dark brown people in my family. I have light brown people in my family. I don't have any black people in my family. But Mm -hmm. what society did is society said, okay, you're white, you're black. But then they start reinforcing the negative energy around the color black, black magic, black bald, you know, black, black hats, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so you have all of these, these things bombarding you. I challenge you. I want you to, no one ever realizes this, but the next time you see a mugshot that's printed, do, do they still print mugshots in Texas? They actually stopped doing it here in Alabama because of lawsuits. Oh, I don't know. So, yeah. I want you to look at the way mugshots are portrayed in newspapers. When, when a, a white person or a Caucasian person is photographed at their booking, they're photographed and you're going to be able to see from the middle of the chest up to the top of the head, okay? And so when they reproduce that photograph in the newspaper, and, and anyone listening to this, I challenge you to get a newspaper and, and see if this bears out. So when you see that photo, when you see that mugshot in the newspaper, and now you can see mm-hmm. them online, you're going to see a, a half a, or torso shot of that white person. Then I want you to look at the mugshots of most black offenders or alleged offenders that are, are published in newspapers and online. That mugshot is always just the face of that person. And that person is usually all you're looking at are the, are the dead of that person's eyes and, and you're seeing all the facial features. And, and the first thing that you do is you instinctively recoil back and you go, oh, wow, he looks mean. Oh, he looks angry. Well, that translates to, oh, he's guilty. And you may not realize that that's the <clears throat> thought process that's going on in your head as you see that, but it's true. And so what that does is it translates into the street. So when the lady is walking past me on the sidewalk, her mind catapults back to seeing the mugshot 
of the angry looking black guy and portraying that onto me and she unintentionally probably in most most situations grabs her purse and clutches it or crosses to the other side of the street but and i think that a lot of that begins at our early inception when we mm-hmm. start we are we are bombarded with the differences in the races and why one race is better than the other right yeah no i mean i don't i i will look at mugshots i don't know if that's what i've seen before <laughs> and here's the but, thing you probably have seen it and you didn't realize it because it's done so so frequently and routinely that that's just what you grew up seeing you know right so how do we how do we shift it because even when we talked about churches last week we kind of talked if if churches were more mingled with race instead of white and black and i mean even and sometimes by language too so that's going to naturally be like you know hispanic church or chinese church or that's more of a language barrier but right i think you know, if we started having that, I just remember what it felt like the couple, the one time I had gone into the church, into the church in Alabama, where there were more blacks, Hispanics, whites, and even like from other countries. And I'm like, this is, this was really comfortable. This is really neat. Right. Now, that's me. I don't know if someone else walking in is going to say this is really comfortable, but eventually let's just say a little perfect world here. Everybody does like the way your wife and I talk, she goes, it's not about it which church one or the other goes to. It's just everybody shows up and goes to church and we do go to church together. And I'm like, wow, that could help. Cause that's a lot where it started listening. I mean, reading, listening, reading the book that I'm <laughs> listening to getting into chapter five and chapter six and just talking about, yeah, our Southern Baptist convention had its own little place in the book. And, you know, you're listening every, a lot of it's, <laughs> did they now? A lot of the, oh, I'm, yeah, obviously I, I haven't made it that far. Couple pages. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and I, I still want to listen. I'm listening to this book, but I also want to go back and read and just listen, listen to how they say that they're established. Go on and say, why did, how did you start the convention? And then compare those and understand those. But, and not saying either one, not saying Tisby's book is, is inaccurate or wrong in any form or fashion because it is reading this book is helping me so much just <clears throat> learn to think and and appreciate what he's saying and what he's what he's talking about and the experiences and like you said it just is so embedded in the fact that when you talk about mug shots and when you talk about black is for evil and white is for good and yeah it just it goes on and on Oh sure, I mean, you know, and and as a and that also plays a part into the lack of self worth that a lot of black people have is because they're also exposed to that. You know, everyone wanted to be Marshall Dillon. No one wanted to be the the black hatted villain that rode into town. So we would right. fight who was going to get to be Marshall Dillon. You know, everyone wanted to be the Lone Ranger. No one wanted to be Tonto. So, right. you know, everyone wanted to be this, this gunslinging white guy with his all-white suit that rides into town and saves everyone. Right. Well, okay, so that actually pulls up another point. You talked about where does this come from? Where does it come from for 
my generation, and I don't want to say your generation because you lived it and you had talks with your dad. So it was very alive and well. Some racism is still here. But for me, it was like, okay, racism is gone. But what about the, like for my generation, movies were huge. And in my life, movies and television and what we see on television and what we see in movies, it, it does help depict. And I remember, um, we talked about a little bit about this in our very first conversation for two and a half hours, or I remember telling you, um, what, what do you, you know, am I wrong for thinking this or am I wrong for reacting this way? Right. And I was telling you about Beverly Hills cop. And I think it was Beverly Hills cop one with Eddie Murphy and judge Reinhold and a couple other people and Eddie Murphy's the, the, the police, the cop from, Detroit and he's the black cop coming into Beverly Hills and Rodeo Drive and um, he has a good friend who's a captain he's white his daughter Eddie Murphy's good friends with so I remember the scene when I was watching it and I remember Eddie Murphy walks into some museum or something an art gallery actually in Rodeo Drive and he walks in and I see him and I and then I see her go Axel and she's like oh my gosh and she runs down the stairs and And she runs up, he runs up to her and he hugs her and then he kisses her on the lips. And I went, like, I had this reaction and I remember having a reaction to it. And, and, and this is where we kind of started with the first question. I was like, what's wrong with me? Am I wrong for thinking? Like, why did I kind of just gasp and Greg, you and I kind of talked through it. And it's not that, like, I love the fact that that was on television and you could see that in a movie, but. I was like, why did I react nervous? And I reacted nervous because they set it up that way, I think. I think Absolutely. it was kind of set up to where I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're on Rodeo Drive. Like, Absolutely. You, that's going to look bad. You don't, you're going to get in trouble. And The premise being, first of all, you don't belong there. And then right. secondly, yes. you have the audacity once you get there to, one, make a scene, and two, make a scene with a white woman. Yeah. And so and I didn't think of the scene being made or him being over outlandish. I just, I was just, it was the comfortableness of like, Hey, and I liked that. And you can tell they were good friends. And then when you see them kiss and then hold, each, and it was just like a kiss, like a friend kiss, but you're just like, Oh my goodness. But I look back and it was, it was, it right. was still set. It was like kind of a setup and, but a setup maybe to pull that out of us and go, why are you not okay with that? See, I think of it that way. And but I think movies play a big part. Movie in skin color, especially for the actors who are black, like you said, I remember the darker the skin, the, you know, the guys who, you know, who were the gang members or who were the ones who were the criminals, that they were darker skinned and the lighter skinned were not. And I'm just saying what I remember in the movies. I no, mean, I that's... Think- that's what it was. You're just saying what you saw because that's the way that they were portrayed. I mean, you yeah. always, if you look at some of those old casting calls that they would send out, we need mm-hmm. four dark-skinned Negroes to play criminals, you know? And you look at these these shows that we grew up with. You know, when you look back mm-hmm. at those shows that we watched as children, those shows yeah. don't hold up. All right. Those shows were very damaging to an entire generation of of people's self-worth and the way that people perceived other people, you know, Mm -hmm. because look at, you know, good times. 
I hated that mm-hmm. show. Do you remember the show Good Times? I did. I watched it, but I hated it because it was the last one. And I'm like, oh, there's nothing else to watch. But it's just that I didn't, yeah, I didn't relate to okay. it. I didn't like it. I hated that show. And the reason <laughs> I hated that show is because in my mind, it made living, it made their living condition cool. Okay. And yeah. JJ was kid dynamite and everyone got a good <laughs> laugh about JJ and everyone got a good laugh about, you know, Michael wanting to be an artist and, and Thelma wanting to dance and, and, and get out of the ghetto. And the problem that I had with that show, and, and I knew even at an early age that that show was going to end the way that it was because I used to think to myself, they are never getting out of that ghetto. Never getting out of that ghetto. They will die in that ghetto. And even even when you, um, Dave Chappelle said something really, really interesting in his Saturday Night Live monologue. And I, I think you saw it. And, and Dave yeah. Chappelle said, so, he said something that resonated with me because he said, I can't even, I can't even state the facts without including a punchline behind it. And I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. And 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 I I thought about that because what he was saying was really so true. If you look at those old shows, a lot yeah. of those old shows like Good Times and The Jeffersons and and shows like that, they had important social messages, but all of those social messages were buried in all of the buffoonery that they had to buffoonery that they had to undertake in order to do the show. And I get it. Mm-hmm. The show was the shows were written mainly by by older or middle aged white men, and that's just the way that they perceived, mm-hmm. you know, the the black experience, if you will. Right, right. But you take a show like Archie Bunker. I love that show <laughs> because, again, I'm a big fan of in your face racism. If I've got to be a fan of racism, I need it to be in your face. And Archie yeah. Bunker was who he was. He was a flawed human being mm-hmm. who he um, he reminds me of someone that I, I know really well. You know, he he had his beliefs about where racists should, how racists should interact with each other. But mm-hmm. at the same time, he didn't let that hinder his ability to to interact with a different race. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It just, he, you just described who you described earlier with like, if you're just going to be in your face and not try and hide it, then be in your face. But maybe that's the difference in the being racist and more of the ingrained cognition. I think there is a true racist who hates other races in, in, in like this, like Tisby's book, how they, you know, they, they go deep in, you know, I think they go deep into the Bible because they run out of ways to say that it's a good idea or that right. we should be allowed to have slavery. <laughs> right. But, but I think that, um, I think the difference that there's an ingrained, but then there's almost like an evil ingrained. And I don't know if it's the evil ingrained that turned evil because they either realized they'd have to look back and see who they were and what they were doing. And so then there was just no turning back. I have no idea. But then there's the other kind who are just like the peripheral, like, I guess kind of how I grew up and maybe kids of people who had racism in, in their, in their system and in their blood, but they, they weren't, but 
it's it's hard to not be who you grew up around. Right. It's hard. It's it's like your role model now matter. Well, like all of us have mom in us. All of us have our dad in us. One of them we like. One of them we don't. Maybe both we love. But you know that moment you're like, oh my gosh, that sounded just like my mom. It's all that's going to happen, no right. matter what. Right. And good, good or bad. And that's what we talk about in counseling. And I'm like, let's talk about what your mom was like. Okay. Good or bad, there's no, it's just different. But that's who you learn to be like. So we have to figure that part out. Sure. So maybe it's people who know and people who don't know. People who know, I think that's scary. Right. People who don't know, I think that could evolve out like through generation or like, you know, breaking the cycle in certain behaviors that family members do to other family members. Like you want to break that cycle. Maybe this is one of those cycles that we can break in those that just don't understand that they're that way. No, you're absolutely right. I I think that that's a very, very valid point, but you know, the, the problem is, is that as you're trying to break that cycle, you're still being bombarded with that negative imagery. (laughs) You know, it's, that's out there. Yeah. The, yeah. the, like, you mean like TV and movies and how people are portrayed. Absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. what needs to shift. Like yeah. we, we shift the whole me too stuff for the women not being treated a certain way or getting different kinds of roles. And, and I mean, I think they, they are shifting, but again, economy, people still I was, go back to what's going to make money. <laughs> we're on the same page, Susan. I was just about to raise that issue to you and say, but you know what we're going to tie it back to? It's the economy. The economy. It's the economy. It sells. Sex sells. Racism sells. It really does. Yeah. I mean, there are people who over the years have made a lot of money off racism. And the sad part is, is that there's people on both sides of the equation that have made money off. Now, I I don't want to sound like the guy in the White House saying that they're good people on both sides. <laughs> I would rather turn that on its head and say there's bad people on both sides when it comes to, you know, trying to end the systemic racism, because for some people, that's a cash cow. Yeah, well, and that's what I was thinking about, not cash cow, but maybe close when I was reading, listening to Tisby this morning in chapters five and six. And I really went through chapter five a couple of times, but it was. It was there's there's bad on both sides, but there's good on both sides. But the good just couldn't they couldn't stay on the good side long enough. Like, right. Because of economy or because of church or because of social. And the church thing is more just social and economics, I think, coming together and pressuring them to saying, no, we we should be OK with slavery. So let's keep our church together kind of um, conversation that they had. But it. There's good on both sides, but there's bad on both sides. And it's just which one's gonna which one's gonna win out? Which one's gonna be stronger? Which one's gonna have more power? And that's that remains to be the question. And then the question becomes, will there ever be a winner? Well, apparently not, because (laughs) (laughs) you can't it's inevitable. It's not gonna We're we're back yeah, we're back to my we're back to my original original premise. And 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 unfortunately I I I stand by that and I believe that it it to be true, you know. See, I don't want it to be true. This is where we go back to I don't I'm rooting for the 
good to take over. There's a lot of things I don't want. (laughs) Those things are, those things exist nevertheless. (laughs) And in spite of my, my desires and druthers. (laughs) Well, I know that the one actor, I say, call them all actors. I guess I should say actors, but all the world's a stage. They are. We're all acting. But, well, men versus women, actor, actress. So is Regina King. She was in, the first time I saw her was in um, Show Me the Money, Um, Tom Cruise. What was that movie called? Uh, With Cooper Gooden Jr. Cooper Jr., yeah. What was that Was it called Show Me the Money? No, what was it? I'm not a movie guy. You put me on the spot. I know, but now that I've thought, I can't think of it. I can't think of it. Um, Oh, my gosh. It'll come to Jerry Maguire. Jerry, Jerry Maguire. Maguire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It was she was she was so great in that movie, like as a wife who just kind of came up and just was like, no, no, this is what we're gonna do. And and I really was taken by her. I was like, she is she is cool. Like I liked her. She had such a she had a good balance of of love and empowerment and like everything in that role. And then I read about her. And I don't know if she had said this before that, and she might have, but she said, I will not take a role that is demeaning to me. I will not take a role that is, a role that is demeaning to an African woman either, um, African-American woman. And, and I think it was because of both race and, and, and I just, every time I see her in a movie, I'm like, I'm going to like her in the movie. I think I'm going to like, and I haven't seen a lot of her stuff lately, but she won an Oscar. And I was like, that's just great. Just for the simple fact of her article where she talked about that. And I don't, I wish everybody or almost every, I wish more would think that way. And yeah. So that's great. That's a feel good story, (laughs) but you're coming back. Let me give you, (laughs) (laughs) let me give you the flip side of that. Okay. All right. I hate, hate, hate those types of roles for black women. Why? Because I know my mom, strongest black woman I've ever met. Right. I have three sisters, three sisters. They've all raised their families. Strongest black woman I've ever met. I've got a wife, strongest black woman I've ever met. I've got, I've had aunts, cousins, all strong black women. To a one, none of them acted the way that they have black women. When they want to portray a black, a strong black woman, mm-hmm. there's always one of two things. One, she's going to belittle the black man and she's going to make sure that her dominance is asserted. Or two, she's going to be this ghetto type Mm -hmm. woman with long fingernails painted a loud color and she's doing the neck roll thing, which I absolutely abhor. And, and those are usually the typecast for the quote unquote strong black woman. But in the black community, and I've been black most of my life, so I feel like I can speak on this. In the black community, those types of roles where the woman is saying, we're going to do this, 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 and the guy is coward, the black man is coward over in the corner. That doesn't really exist in the majority of the black community. But if you're not in that community and you're just a white person looking at that movie from the outside, you say, oh, so that's what a strong black woman looks like. Well, but see, and that's... you're like, I like that. 
but what you're failing to see is that in order the the movie producer and the writer is saying in order for that woman to be a strong black woman the husband has to be a weak black man and that's the way it comes across to me as a black man well that makes sense i mean i could see but i'm sitting there thinking of that and that's where i just liked her being a strong woman like i liked her being a presence and so she's different than i think another example and i can't even think of another i know what you're talking about though i understand the and that seems very cultural to me to put that into into movies and into to um black women or african-american women who are acting in this in a part but um no i liked it because they were both strong there wasn't that power differentiation to me and that's why my kids don't watch Disney. I'll say that because all the parents are talked down to by all the kids and the kids make the parents look stupid on Disney. And I'm like, that's not what I want to teach my kids. Adults and parents are alike. So I kind of think of that the same, but no, I could see how you No, it's, it's, it's absolutely the same. The problem is, is that not only do I have to teach my daughter about that, but I also have to teach her about what I just went on that tangent about, about how you don't have to belittle your black man to be viewed as a strong black woman. Yeah. And that just goes back to, again, the indoctrination that you start receiving as a small child and how that warps and how that chain mm-hmm. establishes your perspective on how I should live. And so it becomes a running battle to ensure that we're countering what negative things she may be seeing that is that runs counter to what we know that the black community actually is and 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 honestly you know it's it's probably that same you may have that same reaction in in the white community i don't know i think yeah there's actually you're just sitting there talking about that and i'm thinking when i was at when I was a professor, I was talking to one of the, I was a grad student or somebody, but it was a younger person that I was working with at the university. And we were talking about doing a study with, she goes, moms are in, <clears throat> especially with daughters, strong, direct moms is in your head. Like right. girls will come in and that's how marriage, a lot of marriages don't do well. So it's like, you will, you will tell him what you think you will take and you just hear, don't you let him treat you that way? Who the blankety blank does he think he is? And you hear that and you're like, that's not how I think. And the man I married isn't like that. And and there were a a lot of us were talking about it. And in this one grad student, she was like, I like marriages end because moms come in and tell you what to do and tell you not to. And I think there's just a generation and, and I would say not even, you know, outside of race, maybe and even more in different, a little more complex within race, but with women of like, be the stronger one, be, don't be weak, don't be taken advantage of, don't, don't get him a beer, don't fill up his iced tea, let him do it himself. And that's more of a traditional, I think, battle of feminist, um, different kinds of feminist. And do I want to be traditional? Do I not want to be traditional? And so you get lost in that. Moms and wives, you you view your mom when they're married sometimes. That's what I've, I've read and heard feedback from, especially clients. Like, well, this is what I saw and this is what I need to be. And I'm like, but what do you, right. what do you want to be? 
And that's, that's a whole different answer. Could be, it could be. But, and and I guess the the question becomes, you know, in, in the context of, of race, would you, would you say that little black girls are probably raised differently than little white girls? I don't, I don't know. I, I really don't know that I would assume just because of what we're, the fact that our podcast exists, like, <laughs> we get raised a little bit differently. Um, that was sort of a trick question and that wasn't fair to you yeah, because the answer is it depends. It, yeah. Okay. It just depends on not, there's not a manual for, for black Mm-mm mothers and fathers to raise their child and there's not a manual for for white mothers and fathers to raise their children you know the the manual is just being a good parent and so you know I'll I'll use my daughter as as an example no I in my mind she's not raised any differently than than any of her friends Uh, you know if if anything I have I had the issue, and, I, and I'll tell you this quick story because it actually came up um, yesterday, actually, when we decided to put Ella in, Ella in school. Um, Ella goes to, and we're going to have to beep her name because <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to say her name, but we decided to put our daughter in school, and we decided to put her in a private school. And here's here's where the the what's the word I'm looking for here? Here's where it becomes somewhat confusing. If confusing is not the word, right word, I'll use it as a place marker until the word comes to me. I didn't want to put my daughter in the public school in the town that we live because I felt there were a bunch of racists here. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want my daughter exposed to that. So we find a private school mm-hmm. and me knowing nothing about that school objected to putting my daughter in that school because I thought she would be subjected to racism because she was black. And I realized that, well, you don't want her in public school because you you think she's going to be exposed to racism and you don't want her in private school because you don't want her exposed to racism. The problem is, is that you don't want her exposed to racism. But the truth of the matter is, is that you're making a lot of assumptions that you have no empirical evidence to go on. And you're an attorney for Pete's sakes. You're supposed to deal in the facts. You know, they say when you have the law, you argue the law. And when you have the facts, argue the facts. When you don't have either, just make a lot of noise and try to distract (laughs) the jury. But I, I say all this to say, had I let my preconceived notions about what I thought the makeup of that school was going to be, she would have never gone to that school and she would have lost out on the opportunity of a lifetime because by putting aside my preconceived and let's be honest prejudices about what was happening in that school, um, I was able to actually see what that school was about. And it turns out it's, it's one of the greatest schools probably in the United States. But had I just held on to my preconceived notions about what I thought the people and 
that taught it to school, the people who sent their kids to that school, what I thought they were going to be, then I wouldn't have been the one missing out. She would have been the one missing out. Well, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, un- until people are willing to put aside their preconceived ideas of what a black person is going to be when that person decides he's going to buy a house next to you, mm-hmm. you're, you may be the one missing out. Right. But yeah. that's not going to solve racism. And neither are we in an hour podcast. So. No, no, but that's the thing is you you just kind of took what you'd grown up with and nothing wrong with it and role modeled and told to be careful of and aware of and then placed that on your daughter. And then, but you grew. And I remember when y'all started the process and your wife was like, oh my gosh, please help me with him going. He's not allowed to go in with me. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I could not imagine Greg taking his daughter anywhere to, yeah, that process. But y'all, well, that, I mean, there was the added, <laughs> the added I, I was a bit overprotective of her and still am. Just a little and, bit, yeah. You know. <laughs> so there, that was added to it. Right. I mean. but that's what I think that's supposed to happen. I think that's a blessing in your daughter's life. But like me watching Beverly Hills Cop, also, I'll kind of parallel with you on that. My kids didn't react that way. Because we showed that movie to our kids and we showed in the TV version without all the cussing, but they're like, mom, we've heard it, whatever. But they thought it was hilarious. And neither one of them had a thought in their mind when that moment happened. Now, what if I would have gone, oh my gosh, they're going to get in trouble. Oh, what's he thinking? Or, you know, anything that's so. They, they would have said, that's not what you've told us. No, they, Because see, and I'm not, have. this is not a knock against your parents, but your children have been taught and and you ha- you were taught that too it was just it wasn't as in your face they have access to a lot more media than we did when we were growing up with my three channels right. in Cherokee Alabama Cherokee County Alabama but you have you have already began the process of of ingraining into your children that it's it's the person not not the color of the skin right you know yeah and that's Thank you. And that is like, when we see that, I'm like, oh, you know, you have those moments of like, we're, we're doing something right. (laughs) It it makes you feel good, right? It does. You're like, ah, I love seeing that. And I'll tell you one other quick story about our son. Hilarious, but he was, he loves to game. So he wears a headset kind of like Greg has on the bigger headset over top of your head. And he wears that when he does his and and watches YouTubes. He loves all of it. Um, and he told us one time he was laughing about one of his YouTubers and he goes, yeah, the guy was so funny. And he said his name and I can't remember. And he took his headphones off and he turned sideways and there was like an indention in his head. And he goes, and I go, oh my gosh, did he have like a cap on or something? And he goes, no, it was just his hair. And he goes, but his hair is like really kind of curly and kind of big. And I said, well, is he like, like your uncle's hair? Cause my brother's hair is super curly. He's like, no, it was like more together. And I go, James, did he have an Afro? And he goes, uh, oh yeah and I go was he black and he goes yeah and I go why didn't you just say that first and he goes well because that's not what I was thinking I was just thinking of his head and I'm like that right there was just should make you feel awesome that was like you think differently and that was really cool and not that mine is wrong it's just we were we've seen so much different and heard so much different and just you know what I've watched and what you see and right. I just loved it. Yeah, it was it was hilarious. It took us like ten minutes. We're like, 
well, did he have this? <laughs> it was great. So, so you see, when you when you tell me that story again, it, it's it's an awesome story, and so it does kind of make me say, well, maybe she's right, or may, maybe maybe I'm a bit being over pessimistic when I say always going to be around, but then I hearken back to. For every success story, if you will, mm-hmm. there's there's probably one or two more that are being told that the races should be separated, that the one race is, is superior over the other race. And again, that's happening on on both sides and it's equally wrong. Right, but when you okay. when you take Ella into a store do you preface with this might happen or do you just, and I know you, cause you, I know you just say you stand tall and you walk in cause you, yeah. So you go in yeah. optimistically, you don't go in pessimistically, you go in real knowing that it's there. But if every time you say, okay, be careful of this, she's going to learn to be careful of something that might not be there or is there. And so you, that's what I think as parents, we take the gamble. Like, the the only conversation, and I think I talked about this, and this podcast may not be up yet, is when I had that initial conversation with Alla about picking up the toy, putting it down. Since that time, that honestly, that's not even a thought that has entered my mind. Now, we've had interactions with we've had interactions with older older white people in the store. We've had interactions with sales clerks in the store who were of a different color. We have had interactions with older white ladies, but those interactions have always been positive. We were actually in the grocery store. Um, I had picked her up from school that day. We were in the grocery store in the local grocery store and, and she had, she had gotten all of her spelling words right or something like that. And so I was like, you know, uh, our big thing is, you know, we always say, I said, Ella, what does it pay to be? And she says a winner. And so it pays to be a winner. And so because she had gotten all the spelling words right, we had stopped at the store and she wanted to get, of all things, a new notebook to write Aww. in. And so, <laughs> so we're on the, we're on the paper aisle and we're looking for notebooks and things like that. And uh, an older white lady who, if you just prejudged, she looked like she could have been one of the good races, <laughs> but she walked up to us and she pushed her buggy up. And yes, there's that, there's that millisecond where you thought, Oh, am I going to have to curse out an old lady in front of my daughter? But <laughs> there, there, so yes, there is that, there is that millisecond where you think that because that's just based upon my experiences from the past. And again, right. those are things that, that I need to work right. through. And so, but she walks up and she says, I just want to tell you, you two, the the way that you two are interacting with, with each other is the sweetest thing I've ever seen. And it's just made my day. And that was our interaction. That was all she wanted to say. That was a very that was one of the most positive reactions you could have. But it started with me being on the defensive about here comes a racist lady, because not only she had not prejudged. Mm-hmm. I had actually prejudged. And so, so I say all that to say, again, you know, both sides and all races kind of have to work on the prejudging because I prejudge her as a racist 
Whereas if it, if that conversation had gone the other way and she prejudges me as a, as a bad person, as, as someone who's stealing something, you know, those are all things that, that people have to work through as individuals. And that's why, that's another reason why I say racism is always going to be around because it's an individual thing. It's an ideology. Right. It's not a, it's not a physical thing you can conquer. We're never going to conquer racism. Right. And I think that is what's going to bring us to our next podcast, which is going to be individually, do you believe you're racist? And is it okay to say I am racist? I have a hard time saying that and asking that question, but I think the way we're going to break it down with how Greg and I talk and share our different stories, it's very semantics, but it's also very ingrained. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's coming up. Yeah. I think we should, uh, we should uh, leave that for the next podcast. We were going to try and conquer both. But I don't think and, and, you know, hope, hopefully we'll figure out a way to, um, to maybe, well, I don't guess we could take calls because we're recording this, aren't we? No, we're, we're not we, live, are we? We do want to take, I want to start, um, people need to, can start sending in questions through email. They can email Am I wrong? FTT at gmail.com and tell us what you think. We would love to hear feedback or experiences that you've had because Greg and I are talking about our experiences and, and I just don't think there's a lot of people. I think there's more people out there that have similar experiences. And the more we talk about it and the more we share is what is going to evolve this either racism you know, going, not going away, but manageable and understandable and just palpable in the sense of talk about it, get it out there to where you're not scared to say, I just had this thought. Is, am I okay for am thinking Am I wrong this? for thinking this? Yeah, am I wrong for exactly. thinking this? And so that's what we want to get out there for everybody. So um, we hope you tune in next time. And if you do want to email and send us in your questions, we will try and get those out in the beginning of our podcast next time to kind of talk about them and, and um and put it out there that whatever you'd like to share as well so thanks for being with us and um we will see you next time thanks